Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. You better shut your mouth before I shut it for you! And on that note, welcome to the Church Planner Podcast. I'm Pete Mitchell. And I'm Peyton Jones. Here for, um, I don't, what number are we up to? See, today I think I released 37, so that means this is going to be on Monday, so this is going to be lucky 38. Yeah, it's gotten all screwed up because we're doing like four times a week where we're doing like little mini 30-minute ones, and then we're doing our regular size one. We're keeping our series, which is how to plan a church. Yeah, and I got them all out of order. Like it jumped from 29 to 31, 32, 33, then 30 came in. And then we went back to 34. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm great at counting, as you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> and Flipper agrees. Absolutely. Flipper always agrees. Always. Always. He never argued with Bud and Sandy. I, I was that who was on that show? You know, that Bud was like. Sandy. Yeah. That was still when TV was evil in my house. Actually, oh, yeah, I think was TV was always. Box. Yeah, yeah. TV was always pretty much evil in my house, which was like very frustrating growing up. You ever notice like the trend on those shows? Like uh, there, there were all the like you know, Welcome to Beaver, or Wally Cleaver, or whatever it was called. You know, the Beave. I don't remember what they're called. And uh, you had all these wholesome shows, and then suddenly, like the '60s happened. And you got all these shows where like there's like single parents, like Gentle Ben. You know, like. Where's the mom on that one? Um, Flipper, there's no mom on that one. Uh, it, it, really? it was interesting. So, yeah, suddenly you got like all these single, uh, you know, you had father knows best. You single, know, dads. Boy, single dads. Single dads. We've gotten away from shows. that. It should have been all single moms. Yeah. Just totally. Saying. Just saying. Totally. And then the Brady Bunch happened. And that was about like remarriage. Mm, yeah. Well, see, I it's couldn't watch the Brady Bunch. Was that the devil too? Uh, probably, but I actually, I mean, you know, we had rabbit ears, right? So we never had cable. So yeah, 
And then, and then we would take the rabbit ears and we'd put the tin foil on the end of it and make like a giant flag. Did you guys ever do that? No. <laughs> You're like, uh, no, no. But we didn't have cable. That cable was like, you know, I my mom was a single mom, so like we can afford crap like that. Sure. No, I got you. Oh, for you, it was come like. On! <laughs> for you, though, it was like cable's a devil. It was, in fact, when I would get grounded in high school, the grounding was I wasn't allowed to watch TV. And I still remember distinctly um, one of the years in high school, I won an award for like the most well-informed person about current events because (laughs) my parents said the exception to the TV rules, I could watch the news. And I'd be like, all right, I'm watching the news then because I love me some TV. A total eye candy, the news back in the 80s. It was amazing. I don't know about it being eye candy, but uh, I made that up. Okay. What are we talking about today? We're totally off subject. Joey would be displeased with us. Yeah. Hey, you know what? If you guys are listening to this, pray for Joey. Um, Joey uh, Roper, we often make jokes at at his expense. Well, right now, Joey is flying back uh, today, as a matter of fact, while we're recording this, um, to see his father. And he sent me a message last night saying- He's in Germany. People should. Yeah, he's he's in Hamburg, and he's going to be planting in Hamburg- uh, you know, I'm saying Hamburg, but Ur wants to keep coming on the end of that. Hamburg. That's not much better. Hamburg. Uh, anyways, he's planting there and uh, he's on his way back uh, today. Um, he messaged me yesterday that they were probably going to pull the plug on his father uh, who is in critical condition. So pray for him. Second yeah. bit of news that we got uh, this week that's kind of hit the church planning community hard is uh, Kim Hammond. Uh, with Forge. Uh, He uh, just finished uh, a round of treatment for his son who had leukemia. And now uh, Kim has just on the tail end of that been diagnosed himself and he's headed into chemotherapy. So keep your prayers up for these guys. Yeah. Um, You know, it's a a pretty sad thing actually. And guys we care about and, you know, respect the heck out of. And um, speaking of that, um, Church Planner Magazine uh, the cover issue, it's out now for the month of January. Uh, the cover of that has uh, Ronnie Smith on it. And, uh, of course, he was a martyr. He was uh, martyred while he was in the Middle East as a missionary. And he's from the Austin Stone in Texas. So keep uh, his family in your prayers. And in this recent edition of the magazine, you can go uh, click on it. I think it's two different places, isn't it, Pete? I don't know. What are you going to say? Two different places well, for what? I thought we complete each other's thoughts now. Yeah, but not when I have no idea where you're going with this. (laughs) (laughs) But we have two, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, we have two different spots where you can click on and you can actually donate to his family. Oh, yeah, probably. Probably there are a couple of different spots. Um, You know, it's interesting, though, with uh, with Ronnie Smith. um, That's that's one of those things where, you, you know, several podcasts ago, a couple of months ago, you know, I'd mentioned that one of the things that I've always had a hang up with is, you know, God, why would you let something like this happen to someone who's serving you? You know, whether it be uh, a brain tumor or, you know, Ronnie's case, gun, excuse me, gun down while he's out on a jog. And, um, you know, and I've really come to to come to grasp with that and to understand, well, you know, God sacrificed his own son. He'll absolutely sacrifice us. Uh, if it means um, bringing him, you know, more people to him and and showing his glory and and how holy he is, 
And you kind of go, well, you know, how can you do that when you're you're letting someone like that get get killed? And the reality is we have no idea how God's going to use that. But to me, it's just crazy. I mean, you know, a dude like that, him and his whole family, hey, we're going to move to Libya. And, I mean, of all places, Benghazi, right? Yeah. And they go there, and they're just living amongst the people and showing God's love. I mean, it, it boggles the mind when you think that someone would actually do that. And then, of course, you know, he gets he gets uh, killed, and um, and who knows how God's going to use that? I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the future? You know, will his his wife go back? I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, who knows, right? I mean, it's just it's one of those things where I'm just looking at it, going, man, I can't wait to see how God's going to use this. Yeah, the famous uh, incident of a situation like that. That question you raised is very insightful, Pete, because. Uh, Jim Elliott, you yeah. know, famous uh, missionary in the 60s, you know, lots of stuff uh, written about him, films made, um, documentaries, a lot of news coverage when it happened. Um, he goes down to uh, South America and goes to Ecuador. the Alca Indians. Yeah, Ecuador. And he goes to the Alca. That wasn't their actual name, but that was the uh, the name that other Indians gave them, which meant outsider or foreigner. And uh, they they go to this tribe. And, of course, he's martyred. And there's this huge backlash. An American citizen, you know, or a group of American citizen family men, they're killed, they're martyred, and the whole idea shut up, phone. I was gonna and say the whole, Yeah. Who's calling? And the whole idea is that uh you know, there was talk of military strikes and, and Elizabeth Elliott says, Look, you know, um just let me go back and she goes back and the first convert is the guy who speared her husband. Mm. And he actually becomes the pastor of the church there. And the whole tribe ends up coming uh, to faith. And the Holy Spirit really uh, haunted that particular Indian. I can't remember his name. And, you know, I shouldn't be calling him an Indian. That's definitely, they're not Indians. But, <laughs> they're not um, even Indians. <laughs> <laughs> that just shows where you're at. Hey, you're brown. Yeah. You don't wear shoes. You're an Indian. A native Ecuadorian. There you go. Um, yeah, no, I, I guess it's not PC to, to, to call them Indian. It's a, you say the tribal name, but anyways, the, uh, the, the man with the tribal name who shall go unnamed for, uh, my ignorance, uh, he, uh, was just haunted. He was convicted by the Holy Spirit. He just knew. He also you know, they, baptized the son of one of the men he'd killed. Yes, he baptized Nate Saint's son, didn't he? If that, I don't remember the to, names, but yeah. Yeah, Nate Saint was the uh, aviation, missionary aviation fellowship guy. That's right, yeah. And uh, so you never know. So, you know, Ronnie, um, he's a hero, you know, and, and you know, I love Hebrews 11 where it brings us up. It, it's almost like he's saying God's best um, get taken out. And and you mentioned that that whole point is one of the things I wrote in jump school was make no mistake, God will kill you um, to get the gospel to others. He will. You know, he'll take you out, not not out of vengeance, but as a sacrifice. He will sacrifice you. Um, and, and, and of course, to the American mindset, that's shocking. Um, and then I bring up the point, like you said, he did that to his son. And so um, for Ronnie, um, I, I, I know where Ronnie is right now. Um, you know, he he would feel if if this goes towards the, uh, the 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 planning of a seed, if those men are being haunted by the Holy Spirit right now, the power of God is moving to that community. Then Ronnie would say it was worth my blood 
just like God counted it worth the blood of Christ. What an honor to die like he died. Um, and yet for his family, like that documentary, that I think it was called The Tip of the Spear, um, where Nate Saint's son goes on this kind of pilgrimage back to the spot where his, his father was killed because he has a bit of bitterness. And you know, He was like 12 uh, or something when his dad was killed. Yeah, and it was his dad. And all he could think was, my dad was taken from me unfairly and I grew up without a father and and he had this real kind of you know darkness that he wrestled with over that and he goes back so um, prayers for the family and if you want to support the family um, you can go to the magazine the magazine has two portals to give um, number one you can watch John Piper's the book of Job um, you can download that for free but making a donation as well um, it, because normally you have to pay for that. It's an absolutely beautiful film. Um, there's a guy named Chris, and I can't remember his, uh, Chris, I, I can't say it right, but it's K-O-E-L-L-E. Maybe we'll say Chris Cole. Um, he did the illustrations. The connection between John Piper's film, The Book of Job, which is based on a sermon that he did on Job, and it's illustrated. It's such a, you know, Piper's preaching is top-notch and phenomenal. But the connection is Chris Cole also worked with uh, Ronnie on his uh, book, uh, The History of Redemption. And you can download that video online, but you can also buy the book. And the proceeds of this are going towards the family. So there's two ways that you can actively give right now to support the family uh, of this man who's a martyr. And one of the, the memes I saw uh, on Ronnie on online was um, had his picture, had the date of his death, and then it had that quote from Hebrews, the world was not worthy of him. I just thought that was awesome. Mm. It's just, you know, he's a hero, man. He's a martyr. He's a hero. Anyone who can say with Paul, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus Christ, um, like Paul says in Galatians, you know, you're a stud. But to um, give your life, go to a country. And he went to a country knowing this was a possibility. He's a man for that. And he is a hero for actually laying his life down for the gospel. That's just incredible. Yeah, and I remember, too, you and I were talking because we were putting him on the cover and, um, you know, we put Ronnie Smith, uh, bond servant of Christ, and then uh, the, the dates of his birth and his death. And I, I still remember, because you had asked, you know, should we put Martyr on there? Because, you know, it's almost like more, you know, for a magazine, it's more sensational. Hey, more readers. And, you know, as a magazine, that's usually what you're looking for. But, you know, one of the things that I said to you, I'm like, you know what? I don't think that's what Ronnie would want to be remembered for. Like when you, I didn't know the dude, right? But obviously after that you read a lot about him like dude this is a guy who is totally sold out for christ what he would want people to know is he was a bond servant of christ and that's how he would want to be remembered not as a martyr but as a bond servant of christ even to the point of death yeah yeah absolutely and and you know both of those terms are are a badge of honor um bond servant which paul takes and turns inside out which was not a term of honor right um he turns it inside out and it becomes this badge of honor that I'm a bond. I'm the lowest of the slaves. And yet, you know, what an honor. That's what I am. And, you know, it's funny because um, for me, it was in no way kind of looking to capitalize on it. For me, it was that when I came to faith, the very first book I read was Fox's Book of Martyrs. And mm-hmm. I was just talking to someone about this yesterday because I helped a pastor unload his library yesterday and um, retired pastor. And the, one of the books I picked up um, was called By Their Blood. And, you know, many of you know this, and some of you don't know this, that there have been more 
uh, people martyred for the faith in the 20th century than all of the previous centuries combined. So um, we are getting close to the end. Um, the, Do the you think that's partially too because Christianity is spread further or – there's just more people in the world. I'm just curious if it's, you know, it could, it could be a lot of different factors. One factor could be that media makes it easier for us to, um, Here. communicate these yeah. things and hear about them. But, uh, it could also be that, um, you know, we've had the rise of communism and, you know, for all the people that say, Oh, you know, all the deaths caused by religion. There was an interesting study done by uh, a professor years ago who took this challenge up, uh, very well-respected, not a Christian, um, but he, he actually chronicled the number of people that had been killed under uh, communist and Marxist regimes and, um, and, and actually found that they far, far, far outnumbered anybody killed in the name of religion. And so that was, uh, you know, of course, that's always helpful when you talk to people and say, you know, that's just people. People suck. And they'll use whatever dividing line they can to exterminate people that are different or what have you. But, you know, um, the, the reality is, oh, and there's also, by the way, a, another good resource. If you, if, if you ever want to kind of intelligently argue with someone on that subject, um, or debate them, um, there's a really good book. Uh, I think it was put out in the nineties. Um, pretty sure maybe a little, maybe the eighties, but it was called cows, pigs, wars, and witches by Marvin Harris, hmm. who was an anthropologist. Um, that book has a lot to say about religious things um, from an anthropological uh, viewpoint, but that's a book worth getting on that subject. But anyways, um, you know, the, the, so this book, By Their Blood, as I'm looking at this yesterday, clean out the, I said, you know, I've always wanted this book because I feel like this is the missing part of my education. When I got saved 26 years ago now, um, and, you know, I am an avid reader. I read and read and read. Um, the, uh, first book I read other than the Bible when I came to faith was Fox's book of martyrs. And I, it just, it just fit. Like imagine you come to faith and you're just reading countless accounts of, you know, people that have been killed, little girls that, um, have their hands stomped on in the middle ages with a guy wearing hobnailed boots until all the hand, uh, the bones in their hands are broken and they're whimpering, trying not to cry out because they don't want to dishonor Jesus. And, you know, and eventually they, they take the, uh, one of the girls and they behead her and they cut her hands off and they show the head and the hands to her father who just breaks down weeping and, um, but he won't recant, you know, he's just says, praise you, Jesus, you know, through his sobs and, um, she's with you and she can't feel pain and, you know, it's just, you're just reading this stuff and you're just moved. And for me, I, I find it hard and I always have to understand Christianity as a life of comfort and a life about me because I came into the faith almost with a baptism by fire reading that book. And it, hmm. it just, that to me, that's always been Christianity. So like right now, right? Like I've handed off, um, well, I thought, I, I thought when, you know, God talks about prosperity. He always means that we're supposed to, you know, be rich and have really cool stuff. No? Yeah, well, you're allowed to be rich because then that means you fund ministry and, oh, you know, I might get some kickback from that. So that'd be cool. <laughs> no, no, I'm taking the money and I, I'm, I'm going to have a prosperous, <laughs> prosperous life. I can't even get the word out. I'm, I'm, I'm in the wrong kind of church. But, but here's the deal, you know, like, like Refuge Long Beach right now. 
<clears throat> I find it strange that I was talking with one of my best friends in ministry and he's a new breeder and he was telling me, he goes, dude, such and such pastor doesn't understand you right now. He can't figure you out because you've got it all in the palm of your hands. You could take a mega because, you know, I, I don't want to like toot my own horn, but like, you know, I, 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 when I preach, people are like, oh, it's amazing. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of guys listen to that and get that and what happened. Come on! <laughs> You know, like a lot of guys get that, you know. And, hey, that wasn't and, my dog, by the way. I want people to know that. You'll hear my dog in a bit, but that wasn't it. That wasn't my dog. Who Who's on this podcast? <laughs> Who else is listening? Neil, is that you? Philip? <laughs> Neil's back. Who's on here? Jill? <laughs> so so here, here's the deal. Some Dude, people are like totally breaking in. Like people are totally bootlegging our podcast, man. I love it. Still away. So uh, maybe, I can't say that. So, so here's the deal. You know, it's bad when you censor yourself. All right. Sorry. Go Absolutely. Ahead. But here's the deal. Like, you know, uh, all my pastor friends are telling me, dude, you, you should be taking a church. You should be settling down. Um, this and that. The reality is, um, to me, it's always been about sacrifice. I, I, I feel like Schindler, man. I always feel like these cufflinks, you know, I, I could have done more. I could have, you know, this car, that's 10 more people, you know. Um, that's, that's how I always feel that. And, yeah. and so for me, Ronnie, you know, it's like, you, I don't know, man, it just, it, preaching is not like my ministry is not about showcasing my preaching gift. It's not about, um, you know, building this big church ministry to me is about re- like Ronnie, man, it, you know, uh, can't even put myself, I'm not a martyr They're like he is in a separate category. According to revelation, Ronnie is now in a separate category who are these these are the ones that love not their lives unto death and are clothed in white as they've been washed with the blood of the land they gave their lives like they're special in the book of revelation i don't know if you know that but you know i better shut up because i'm going to keep talking but here's the deal for me church is about reaching the people that need to be reached and like jesus said unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies it will not bear fruit um sacrifice Okay, that's my train. That that is your train. That's nobody else's train. No one can claim that train. But you know, we we give our lives. Um, it is about sacrifice. You know, um, you know, there's greater reward for greater greater amounts of sacrifice according to scripture. But also, Jesus just says it's a kingdom principle. The the more you sacrifice, the more you're going to reap. Yeah, yeah. Well. You know, let's let's uh, let's get on to the. How many the minutes days. in is this a record? I, it is, but it was actually good stuff. Come it wasn't. On! It wasn't just us, uh, you know, blowing smoke. <laughs> that was that was us uh, just just chimping along. Hey, so so um, you know one Hi, thing, my pretties. One thing that that I want to bring up just in, in passing, we've been actually getting some really good comments, and um, we're gonna play them i just literally been been swamped guys uh but people have been calling into our uh, our message line so for our future episodes we'd like to know you know what are some questions that you've got your burning question about church planting or maybe your particular church plant and give us a ring to our message line leave the question for us and we'll answer it and the number for that again is 562-553-0004 562-553-0004. So if you're driving right now, you know, pause your your phone, pull over, 
and and you know plug that number into your phone and that way you can just call us and leave us a message and and we'll uh we'll tackle those those topics so um yeah anyway what what is the the day's topic well today is the launch and so we covered some of that you know um before we talked about some of the drumming up you know how you facebook and you do this and that there's a couple of things that we want to talk about um how you run a church service, you know, um, blah, blah, blah. And some guys out there listening are like, dude, I ain't running a church service. I'm doing missional community. And so we want to kind of talk about the different uh, ways of doing this and what it means and and when you become like an actual presence um, in the community. Because there's a certain point at which building your core team is a private affair. Um, you don't want you know, to, to launch out in the public. In other words, doors open too soon. Um, some people would think, oh yeah, you would, but, uh, you don't, I mean, think about it, you know, biblically, whenever a church is planted, the core team bonds, Jesus caused his core team to bond. They were 12 guys, you know, one of them didn't bond so well, he hung himself. Uh, but, but the other guys, you know, there was a group of, you know, uh, about, you know, 11 dudes who bonded for three years. And then they added, you know, uh, about, a, you know, traveling around with upwards of 500 people at a time. And then finally the upper room has 120 people. And, uh, you know, 10 days after prayer, um, boom, the whole thing breaks. So, I mean, but they have Jesus for 50 days um, in between the resurrection and Pentecost. 50 days, right? It's almost two months. He spent three years with the leaders. The I thought 12. it was 40 days. It's 50 uh, it's actually 50. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So, you know, he's, he's appearing with them and they're moving around. Um, they're talking, Jesus is telling them all kinds of things. And then, um, oh, sorry. No, it's uh, sorry. My bad. It's 50 days from, uh, Passover to Pentecost. Mm. So yes. And it does say he appears, uh, with them for 40 days, but it anyway, so, you know, prayer meeting for 10 days. Um, they've been meeting for 40 days with Jesus. Um, they've had three years for the 12. So, I mean, you're talking a, a period of time. Plus, if you look at um, uh, Paul and and his travels, they've got all that time traveling where they're bonding together. And so we've covered a little bit of that before, but I just want to reemphasize that, that there is a point at which you go public. So Pentecost um, some people call that the formation of the church because they believe that the spirit was given on that day. Um, I don't hold that view. I actually believe the spirit was given in John chapter 20, where Jesus looks at the 12 and he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. I believe after his resurrection, um, that that was the point at which they actually were indwelt. So, um, but I believe that the uh, when he says the spirit shall come upon you, that we're actually talking a little bit uh, differently then um, about what's happening. Yes, the Holy Spirit's involved, but he wasn't given to the church. He says power will come upon you um, from on high and then you will be my witnesses. So the Holy Spirit was given to empower them for mission. But the church made its public appearance then because it was actually about mission. At that point, so we're we're not we're not looking at the birth of the church. We're actually looking at the public launch of that church in Jerusalem, um, where they went out into the square and load, they preached the gospel out in the public, let them know we're here, and boom, people got saved. And always a launch 
should be about um, reaching the lost. It should not be about gathering a crowd. Guys, anyone can gather a freaking crowd. Um, if you think having a successful church is having a bunch of button pews, then you really need to go back and read your New Testament. Um, that is not what happened. They were not just after a crowd. They went out where lost people was, where it was dangerous, and they preached the gospel. And uh, uh, so your launch, you know, look, here's the deal. If you set out to attract Christians, and I know we've talked about the no Christian rule here, um, then you're going to get a bunch of Christians. And, you know, I heard Jen Hatmaker recently, she was making this point where she said, um, if you uh, are a consumerist about it, if you, if you, you as a, a church planner can be a consumer where you're consuming people, you know, you're just like they're consuming church, you're consuming them. Um, you see them as an object to make your church fat. But if, if you, and I'm not saying you have to have the no Christians allowed rule, but, you know, it's usually what I do in the beginning is I don't let Christians come because I want to keep the focus on the lost. Um, and a lot of people don't like that. They're looking for their programs they're looking for their, you know, um, you know, their, their youth groups, their Awanas, their, you know, um, underwater basket weaving for Jesus club, you know, the praise size, whatever. But the reality is if you want to reach lost people, then your launch needs to be tailored around that. Yeah. And you know, it's, um, I think it's a really difficult concept for a lot of church planners to get their head around because it's not a, uh, it's not a popular concept in the sense that it's almost like, you know, what are you doing? What, what, do, you, what do you mean, you know, that's how you're going to do your launch? I mean, you and I have talked about, I think, off the podcast, how there are gurus out there who, you know, train you on how to have a big uh, launch for your church plant. And it has nothing to do with reaching the community. It's yeah. it's about numbers. And that is more, in our society, that is more acceptable to be after than... Yeah. Uh, like even a, a, a you know the guys who are doing the the missional communities or that yeah. the house church you know that's that's not acceptable it's almost uh, cultish you know um, in our in our society's mind uh, you know what are they doing over there you know where's their pastor you know what denomination are they a part of and yeah. it's it's very not acceptable to have a church plant like that. Well, that's it. And so if we're talking, you know, let's talk about the two models today and how you would launch each. You know, if you've got an attractional model and that's that's kind of I'm a mix. You know, I'm not in either or to me. I'm like, hey, man, let's put them together, apples and oranges and have a fruit salad, you know, because I like them both. And we'll throw some bananas in there, too. Um, But, you know, for me, I don't I don't pick and choose because I see them both in the scripture. And it's it's kind of like, you know, they're just kind of snobbery. Um, sometimes on both sides, it's it's there. The megachurch guy looks like what you just described at the the missional community and says, "Dude, what are you doing? That's not a real church, you know." And you know, uh, I'm over here. I got thousands of people in front of me. What well, I think a lot of Christians look at the the missional community and think that Absolutely. not just the guy who's running the church, but everybody. Dude, we're we're a mix of attractional missional community, and yet. Um, I've got pastors looking at me. Like I said, my buddy who's going, dude, like pastor so and so can't figure you out because you're um 
you know, he's looking at you and it's like, what are you doing? You know, you should by now, you should have this big church, you know, you're, you're a good preacher, you're this, you're that. And it's just not, it's just not what I'm called to do. Like I could do all that stuff. Um, one, one of the things when I launch out that I never do is I never, like I never broadcast on Facebook that our church, you know, the way, other than maybe just pray for us, but I didn't advertise to my Christian friends. Um, I didn't pull people from other churches. Um, that's really annoying and it gives, it's annoying to other pastors and it gives, uh, uh, church planning a very bad name. Um, when you're just, you know, uh, and, and, and a lot of times the bigger churches, big name churches will come into a community. My hometown is Huntington Beach, California. Every major church plant, you know, every major mega church out there that you, it's a household name, you know them, um, will come and plant in Huntington Beach just because it's a really nice place to live. And there's, it's a Bible belt. There's loads of Christians. So we tend to go where success is almost guaranteed, but we don't go to the inner city. We don't, you know, th- these places are, are forgotten and neglected. And that's another topic for another podcast that we've already had. But all this ties together, see, this is where the rubber meets the road. Um, if you're looking at um, it, it, almost like an attractional model, um, what people often do, and church planners do this, they don't want to roll in on their launch day and have 20 people show up because they will feel like failures. Hmm. And, and, and it becomes about them and their success and their ego. And so somewhere, church planner, in your mind, you have to get rid. Because I'll guarantee you, you have to get rid of this idea. Because what happens is the next week you go after your launch always happens. Half of the people that came on that first day don't come back because they're just, you know, you invited them. Well, imagine now that's almost like a deflation that happens on the site. People are like all excited on the launch day. Then they come back. Now imagine how bummed out your team is because they're like, Dude, where'd everyone go? We must suck. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I could definitely see that. I could definitely see that. It's a two-edged sword, man. Yeah, I get it. But but if you launch, it's kind of like us, right? Like we do the risky stuff, right? Like you know that Christmas outreach. We we made the comment there was not a white person there other than some. And we have a mixed other church. Than, Our yeah, church is not all worked, white yeah. people. But our community is black and Hispanic that we're Primarily, in. yeah. Yeah, primarily, and uh, with some white people sprinkled in. Yeah, I'd say 98% black and Hispanic. Yeah, so that outreach, not a single white person came to it, and we're like, okay, we've done well. You know, this is absolutely um, a reflection. That place was packed out with our community, and we didn't bring in a bunch of Christians to make our efforts and our outreach look successful, and that's always a risk you take is to – to, to, to look like a failure. And I remember the first outreach I ever did, um, into a community. Um, it, it didn't, it didn't, uh, quote unquote succeed. Um, but we talked to so many people that we came away saying, um, cause we went to a fair, um, in Britain and we set up a little table and baked a bunch of stuff and this and that. And the fair wasn't huge, but we made some key, uh, contacts there. And, uh, you know, you, you just, you look at success differently, I guess, when you're in Europe, um, it becomes about the individual, it becomes a bit more like the book of Acts. And that's what I'm advocating for the church planner is don't let it be about your ego. 
Don't let it be about success. The American view of success anyways, which is numbers, baby. Bigger is better. Right. It's our American mantra. Yeah. So what, what does a launch look like? Let's take the, uh, the missional community. Missional community. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so the missional community, um, I suppose where you go public there is, let's say you're, you're meeting your missional communities meeting and you know, you have to know about missional community that missional community <laughs> does not mean like a home study, right? Um, missional community and and you'll hear this on some of the guests that we have on on the show where this would be like okay first thing it's not a meeting is then the first question people want to know is well when does your missional community meet and they're like wait you you don't understand it um missional community is a lot like acts chapter two um we're literally just in each other's pockets we're eating dinners together we're going shopping together we're at the beach together we're living life together um, we're doing gardening in the neighborhood together. Maybe I'm doing my lawn and, uh, my buddy's over and we're like, Hey, we look across the street and there's our neighbor's lawn over there. And we're like, Hey dude, let's go be the church over there. That old lady's pretty old, you know, and, uh, her, you know, maybe she can't afford a gardener cause her, her garden's been running down or you find out she's been sick. You go mow her lawn and you weed her garden bed. And that's missional community. And so it's not about the time that you meet. It's about embodying the gospel. And of course, part of the missional movement is everybody's a missionary. So the way it looks there, and to me, the guy that I get the most out of um, is a guy named Steve Timmis on this. Mm. Um, Soma is the American counterpart to that. And we've had uh, Jeff uh, in the magazine. We've interviewed him. Um, but Steve Timmis does this thing called Crazy Eights. And what he does is he lets each uh, missional community grow up to 20 people. So you would, it's a way of fostering discipleship, small groups meeting in a home. There's no childcare. The children are there. They're playing with toys on the floor. You're having a glass of wine and some food. Um, you're eating together. People are discussing things. It's not like a church service, but you're also meeting during the week, um, just doing natural life things. But each person in that missional community realizes it's not about a meeting. It's about the neighbor down the street or it's about the person in my apartment complex. And so the, there is an attractional sense. Like attractional means you bring them to something. Well, missional community has to have that element too. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize is uh, with a missional community, if you watch Jeff Vanderstel, um, you have to bring people to that. Um, it, it wouldn't work if there was no evangelism. So what you end up doing is, um, like for Steve Timmis, he's got this worked out almost to like uh, an exponential formula, right? Um, the British are boffins, they're, they're eggheads, they like to think stuff through and strategize. So what he's got is he has this thing called Crazy Eight. So uh, each mission community gets up to 20. So what they do is when it gets up to 20, they would say that's maximum capacity. Hmm. And they see it as a time to start a new one. So if I were launching missional communities and I had a core team of 20 people, I would personally, um, using that model and understanding how missional community works, I would break them into two groups of 10. Um, one of the dangers of missional communities, it can become insular. It can be about us. It can lose its evangelistic edge, just like a megachurch. These are the same inherent weaknesses. When you look at these two different uh, ways, which are both found in the scripture, uh, these methodologies, you find that they both have the same exact weaknesses, um, just in different ways. Um, so they can lose their evangelistic edge. They can start existing for themselves, just like a megachurch can. 
So I would personally break them into 10. And so for my public launch, I'd be saying, all right, guys, there is an attractional element to this. Um, yes, we go out into the community. Um, we might, you know, um, have a reading group and Starbucks and open that up to everyone. And, you know, that's missional community. We're being the church out there. We're all missionaries. But at the same time, um, we are going to half ourselves, cut ourselves because the goal, and I love how Steve Timmis kind of formulated it, where he's like, the goal is always to get to 20. If you always have that goal that your group gets to 20 with the understanding that you break off into new groups, um, then you keep growing. And so for crazy eights, he starts with groups of eight. He breaks off each time you get up to 20, you break off a new group of eight people. And, um, of course that leaves 14 people behind. How does that, by, by the way, how does that work with leadership? Well, you know, it's interesting because it, the, from what I understand, um, what, what Jeff Vanderstelt does, for example, a friend of mine, a friend of ours, I guess, uh, David Achada, um, you know, he's been up there as an intern. I, I asked him, I'm like, so what's it like to be uh, a, a pastoral intern up with uh, Jeff? To tell me your nine to five. What happens? Well, most of these guys work. They're tent makers. And uh, when they can, like for him, he's an entrepreneur. Um, so he can make his own schedule. He goes there and he will... Uh, he says basically Jeff has these days where he disciples leaders. And so I, I think you would find it very similar to say a megachurch pastor who's bent on discipling leaders that he carves out part of his schedule and says, this is when I'm available to mentor people. If you want to come, these are the times I'm available or he schedules it. But Jeff has days where one of the things David said is that um, Jeff is very easy to shadow. Um, hmm. He says, Jeff, just almost everything he does, he brings somebody with him. Um, and, and so in a missional community, if I were doing a funeral, um, I would take you with me. If I were counseling someone, I would take you with me. You know, I um, gotta, I gotta tell you that that concept right there of being easy to shadow, that's a really, really powerful concept. Um, one of the first companies I worked at financial planning and the, the CEO of the company, you know, was the natural born salesman. And everything he did, everywhere he went, he was always taking someone with him. And that was how he trained people. It wasn't like, here, sit in a classroom, watch this video, answer this multiple choice test and get out there. It was like, we're going to go do it. So come with me. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the thing is I think when you're um, when you're going to launch. Uh, out of church, um, you want to have already been doing that. So um, you want to have had people shadowing you. You want to start already thinking about leadership. Um, and, and you want to be thinking about everybody else's gifts too. And so, you know, I, I guess in a way, it's kind of like how you're saying like the shadowing thing. It's just Jesus, isn't it? Um, yeah. You know, Jesus let these three, you know, these 12 guys shadow him for three years. Yeah. And, so, you know, that's always something that's necessary. If I were doing missional community, I would have to be training guys from day one so that I could split my groups up and have multiple leaders. And if you start opening up, if I got two groups of 10 and those people understand, look, guys, you got to start bringing people to this because we are here to impact this community. I think if you don't have some type of goal like that as a missional community, you are going to stagnate. 
That's yeah. just my opinion. I, maybe other guys in the missional community come and say, dude, you're, you're, you're jacked up, man, because you can't slave drive people. Well, absolutely. We're not talking about slave driving people, but we are talking about creating room for people to have some vision. One, one of the things I did, um, and I've done some really stupid things in my day in church planning, but one of the things I did was um, we launched in Wales. Uh, it, was, it was all missional. It was uh, in a Starbucks, very organic. Um, at a certain point, we, it, people loved what was there, but they had always been used to sitting in pews um, and church being kind of this holy huddle and this bunker, you know, of, of you know, holiness and uh they they didn't really understand how to get out there so i had to reform the church and i i what i did once is i uh we, we some of my leaders and i got together the night for church and we were having a, a meal together and goofing off and we always laughed we would just laugh and laugh and um they were all kind of twisted and sick like i was and um but we we decided we were going to take a bunch of clothes and stuff dummies and make dummies and fill you know because the church you could see like we we weren't growing anymore and we weren't out for numbers but we were definitely there to reach loss and we had seen this wave of people i didn't understand in those days that sometimes you have uh waves just like any wave you have a peak and you have a trough and so we would see this wave of people get saved and then we'd have a trough where it was like the lord started talking to me going well what are you going to do with those ones you need to disciple them now Mm. and so that became, I'll talk about that another time, but, um, but when I didn't understand that, I was like, okay, I don't want us just to stagnate. So we made all these dummies, about six dummies. And because we sat around in horseshoes around coffee tables, um, I, I stuck in some of the empty chairs, these dummies. And so people sat down, they looked so real. We had them posed like cross-legged and <laughs> one guy had a hoodie in Wales. If you're like a youth, you, you wear a hoodie. Um, they call them chavs, you know, um, there's uh, CCTV cameras everywhere in Great Britain. Um, it's one of the ways they stop crime. So almost any street you're on, there's a camera on you at all times. So young people wear hoods. It's just like this thing. So they, they you know, hoodies and, and, and what have you. So anyways, um, the, the bottom line is people were sitting down and they were like, would suddenly go to say hi and they'd freak out because, oh my gosh, that freaked me out. You know, it'd be like sitting next to a wax figure or something. But it was funny. We had a lady in a burqa and it looked like a Muslim had come to church. It was awesome. And so, you know, it was one of the stupider things I did, but I just told him, look, guys, um, each of these dummies represents a lost soul who needs to be here. And, you know, um, you're out there. And so it was trying to get them to understand you are the missional community. You are the missionaries. Um, you are sitting in a group that has seats that are empty in it, in this, in the semicircle you're sitting in. There shouldn't be, we should be fighting for space because, mm-hmm. you know, um, so anyways, that that's just something that for me, I don't go to the mission field to entertain Christians. I go to the mission field to see lost people saved. And I think that's something that we shouldn't be ashamed of having. an event. We should be ashamed if we don't have an evangelistic zeal. And um, that's actually a sign of, of spiritual sickness. Um, and people, leaders aren't talking like this today. People, you know, they, it's this is kind of seen as old fashioned, but whatever, man. So, <laughs> so. Uh, that's kind of how a missional community, I, I would see them mm. as launching. Right. The, the number one thing about a launch, day, uh, the launch is that uh, you shouldn't move the date. Remember, this is our series, the three dates um, that you don't want to forget. This is the one date you don't want to move. What I always tell church planners is, look, um, 
you cannot, what you need to put that date on the calendar and it needs to be set in stone. So when I ask a church planner, what day are you launching? Um, he, he needs to, uh, set that in stone. He needs to not be, because what, what will always happen, like with anything, is as the date gets nearer, he'll start feeling, oh, I'm not ready. People do this with their marriages. Um, people do it with vacations, and you just bump it back. And I have seen guys bump their launch date back so many times. And what that does to your team is it starts deflating them and making mm. them restless. Um, you're doing it because, again, you want a successful, quote unquote, successful launch, whatever in the heck that is, right? <laughs> um, there needs to be risk. Don't tell me there wasn't risk um, with the you know with the apostles, man, when they went out in the square and preached the gospel. Do you think Peter was prepared? He wasn't prepared. So I just said, you know, and they had no control. They were just like, boom, you're going now. The Spirit's falling today, boom. But you need to be in prayer. You need to be asking for the Spirit to move, but don't move that date because you're a chicken and I'm a chicken and we all know it and we're going to be tempted to move that date repeatedly. See, it's and in stone. I, I think that probably if if a church planner is like in that mode of let's let's move the date, let's move the date, I, I think what could be going on is they've got this mental image of what the launch is supposed to look like. Yes. And it's probably, you know, based on, like you said, people, size, uh, how yeah. many people show up for this thing. You know, we've been toiling now for the last year, getting ready to launch. Now we're going to launch. What if, you know, my core team shows up and that's it? Yeah. And Absolutely. my, my, you know, take on that one would be, you know, first of all, what have you been telling your core team? Because that's an image that's in your head. It's not necessarily in anybody else's head. No one else knows what to expect. They've never gone out and done a church plant. Even if you've never gone out and done a church plant, they don't, they don't have any idea what to expect from launch day. So I think that's in your head. But secondly, as long as you haven't been putting that into their head, you know, when we launch, we're going to have 150 people or, you know, we're going to rent this big auditorium and we're going to fill it. I don't know necessarily that that should be what you're telling your core team up until you actually launch. I think you Absolutely. might be and, setting and unreal this, expectations. Yeah. And I mean, like what I'm saying is counter cultural to the church planning world. You have to understand what I'm, there are whole books written that say the exact opposite of what I'm saying. Um, you have to have critical mass. You have to, I mean, you know, they've got it all structured out in a certain way. Let me, let me just, let's just back up and go back to the book of Acts. Jesus tells them, you are going to go to the ends of the earth. You 12. <laughs> all right. Um, uh, Lord, uh, we're screw ups, number one. And, uh, we all know that, you know, just read the four gospels. We just lived three years of screwing up and, uh, Lord, we ran away and we denied you. And, um, we didn't even believe, like, what in the heck you're talking about, about raising from the dead. We had no clue. Um, our hearts were hard. Um, we, we, you know, we really struggled with believing half of what you say. And, um, you know, you're always calling us, oh, little, you know, oh, you've a little faith. And, yeah, okay, Lord, you nailed us. Um, what? You, you, you're going away. You, you're telling us to pray. I mean, okay, power will come, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Um, to the ends of the earth is a pretty tall order. Mm. And you can imagine, these guys are freaking out. They're going, what in the freaking heck? We've never even traveled outside of Israel before in our lives. We're podunks, man. We, we're like, you know, we're, we're bumpkins. We're Duck Dynasty, man. Um, you know, before the TV show, like we, we trap beavers and, you know, eat squirrel and stuff. Like, Lord, we're, what are you talking about? We're, we're Jewish good boys, you know? And, uh, and, and, and Jesus is like, I, I want you to feel this pressure. <laughs> I want you to feel out of your depth. I want you to be just a little scared because I want you desperate. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. And I think that's, that's, that's kind of an interesting take on that of, uh, of, you know, God wanting us to feel out of our depth, because when we feel out of our depth, that's when we realize we have to rely on him. Well, and like your, your speciality, really yeah, your speciality is product launches. And I mean, you know, I, I would imagine one of your specialities, I, I would imagine that there's a lot of pressure leading up to any product. I mean, you, you're like, you can do this stuff in your sleep probably now, but I mean, there's still is a certain, a date on the calendar. There's a lot riding on that date, right? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And, and so, you know, I mean, even, you know, you, you just get this sense where the, the Holy Spirit delights in people stepping out in fear and faith. Um, you know, nevertheless, Lord, because you have said, is what Peter said when he cast the net, you know, um, you know, it didn't make sense. Lord, we've been out fishing all night. We caught nothing, but you've told me to do this. So Lord, I'm, I'm going to do it in obedience. And, uh, and again, now, if you have one family, um, who comes in and of course, you know, I'm, I'm the realist when it comes to church planning, I church planner, you have to know that the stories you hear like Mark Driscoll, that is an exception, you know, where it just, they explode overnight. Um, the first book I ever read, um, I, I can't say I'm a, a big fan at all, but, uh, uh, when I read Rob Bell's, uh, Velvet Elvis, um, where he talked about, gosh, man, I think it was like, you know, the, the sixth week or something, and he had thousands of people coming. I can guarantee you those are Christians. Um, but he wanted to check it in. Um, those, those stories are the exception that people have thousands of people overnight. It's usually a combination of good marketing, bad churches nearby in the area. Um, where people are fed up. Uh, there's usually a, a, an arterial leak out of another fellowship, um, you know, due to something. But we've all seen that. And it's, the reality, it's definitely the location because, you know, America being a Christian country, you know, whatever that means, but it definitely means there's a God consciousness we've talked about before on the podcast that you don't have in other countries. Like Joey Roper, yeah. I'm sure, does not have that in Germany. No, and and what I what I what I want to say is this: um, in some of these cases, like I'm not I'm not evaluating each of these and saying they were the combination. You know, there are also cases where uh, a move of the spirit happens, and uh, perhaps you know Mark Driscoll, perhaps some of these guys. Um, that's what happened. You know, the spirit just boom, he fell, and sure. they all were like amazed. But if you read Mark's story, Mark tells you it was the slow burn. If you read Confessions of a Reformation. And so there's this mythology that gets burned, you know, kind of uh, burned into our mind as church planners that it's got to suddenly pop within the, and we've got to have this, what's happening? Let me just say, Pentecost happened once in the book of Acts. 
nothing of that magnitude but that kind of pop and that kind of you know bubble and froth ever happened again the rest of the church plants were slow burns yeah right um <laughs> and and Ephesus was the closest thing that came you know to like a revival where you know they all just in mass numbers but that was after huge amounts of persecution um you know was, they locked Peter I mean uh, Paul in prison for a while but without boring you in the details here's the deal guys don't move that date and be creative you know I want to just before we cuz I'm sure we're coming up to the to the time limit I've been keeping an eye on the clock but um I'm I'm I want to talk briefly about Charlie Marquez, who's one of new, you know, new. I was going to say planners. he's got. I mean, we're recording this on Friday; it's going to air on Monday, and Sunday is his launch day. That's right. So he's launching into a community, um, and he's in a school. And we've talked strategically, uh, kind of about some things that he can do. For example, like um, the school's used exclusively now for people's special needs, um, and and so you start with your Jerusalem, and you go to what their needs are. So uh, my, my strategy, if I were planting there, would be to go to the special needs people and to say, we're a church that accommodates special needs. We can have people yelling out in service. It's no big deal. Um, you know, now don't get the wrong idea. You know, it's not like that happens, you know, like people are yelling. But I mean, if you got a special needs crowd, you're going to have people making noises and, um, you know, uh, it's going to be quite distracting. But I would go to them and say, hey, we're here for you because what always happens um, if you do sign language, the deaf community will show up because there's probably only one other town in your city that actually does sign language. Um, if you uh, say we don't mind, it's like when you know people with needy children they can't leave them uh, with anyone else. You know, like I've got a, a baby that you know has breathing issues. We can't just pass her off in a nursery at a church, you know, nor would we want to, you know, we have to have her with us, but she might cry and fuss. We're the kind of church in our church plant. And we say, dude, we don't care. Your kid can be in our, in our church. And so it's the same kind of deal where they're, they're feeling that community, like no church wants us because we're a distraction to what they're doing. And so when you come arms wide open and say, Hey, you're a part of us, you know, we're going to embrace you as a community and welcome you. You're part of the family. If I was sitting at a family gathering on Christmas morning, and, you know, my cousin has, um, you know, uh, uh, cerebral palsy and, you know, is making all kinds of weird noises and jerking. I'm not I'm not going to like say, hey, could, could you go? You know, you're distracting our Christmas uh, present opening uh, tradition as a family. You know, could you go in the back room or something? Um, and so that's one of the strategies that that I think you just have to look creatively at your launch. And so I said, look, there's a whole untapped community there who feels they can't even go to church. And I would hit them. The other thing that Charlie's doing is he's doing food, barbecue. I think he's doing tacos or something. So he's got a taco cart. Um, he has is doing almost like a mini carnival. And the reason that's important for his community is to let people know he's there and to just form conversations. Of course, from three to five is this carnival. And he's with the Southern Baptists. So they're like, dude, we got a jump castle. They have all kinds of cool things that you can use. And then mm, those Baptists, uh, yes, Baptist, I'm telling you, those Southern Baptists, I'm telling you, they know how to party. But, you know, three to five is a carnival and then five is the launch. So they're fed. You know, they've got to run and get dinner. They're, the kids are having fun. You leave the bounce castle up. Boom, boom, boom. And the launch. And now even if people don't go to that church, 
he's just reach that community and let them know we're there. And one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen in, in church planning, uh, I've, I've seen, for example, Die Hankey in, in, in Wales. He had, he had one that kind of rivals uh, Charlie's, but um, he basically had beer coasters um, because everybody in his neighborhood drinks. So he went down to the pub and threw a bunch of, you know, gave him a bunch of beer coasters because, you know, they're always running out of them. And uh, so he's like, hey, put this on your account. It's free advertising for him. So he gives a load of beer coasters to the pub. Islands, I'm just saying. And so... Did, did it help? Did it bring people in? Definitely. Definitely. And and not like, you know, uh, let's put it this way. You can't measure it like, did X amount of beer coasters bring X amount of people? What it is is people look down at their beer coaster, like the graphics, start reading it. And it's got a little thing about, hey, we're here for you, blah, blah, blah. And um, in fact, I've got one sitting right here uh, in America. I've got one of those sitting on my uh, on my table. But uh, the the reality is, it let the community know that he's there. And I mean, I lived in a community where um, if you've ever heard of like a council estate in Britain, it's like a, it's like a HUD, it's like an inner city community. And, um, you know, I would have experiences where he'd be out, you know, and he'd hop a wall and some dude's sitting there with a shotgun in his mouth. <laughs> he's like, I'm interrupting something here, you know? And, uh, you know, a, a body was found and a lot rolled up in a carpet. No joke, not the Sopranos, actually a body rolled up in a carpet in a vacant lot. So, I mean, they're rough areas and, uh, and, and you go where the people are. And so what Charlie had was he had, um, they, they meeting on Sunday nights, um, and they're in the school. And what they found was when they're meeting, there's all these dog walkers that come together. And, um, so what the dog walkers, uh, you know, would do is they'd all meet up and they'd all walk their dogs together and they would meet at the school. So what Charlie did is he came up with this, like, uh, you know, like your card, um, he folded over a card, put like four dog biscuits in a, a plastic bag and stapled the folded over card. And it looks hot. I That's mean, it's in my newsletter. Was. I saw it on, yeah, it was either your newsletter or on Facebook that I saw it. I was like, I don't understand why there's four dog biscuits with the church thing on it. Like, I didn't know the story. I'm like, I don't, yeah. I don't get it. And and for me, I go nuts about that stuff because I'm like, dude, you met your community right where they were at. There's a whole community of dog walkers. What's really cool is one of the people on his core team um, owns a dog grooming place, and she's like, I, it was her idea. So, and this is this is one of the things about your launch that you're getting people's gifts to come out you're letting them reach a community she was the perfect but she's like i know exactly what to do she came up with the idea um she got it all worked out and so she goes up and talks to him and says hey i run such and such dog room i saw you guys here and you know you guys want some dog biscuits and boom and this guy and she's like hey our, the church that i'm part of is meeting right here and she's opened up this conversation and just talking to all these people all these dog walkers about this church in their community that's just hot that's yeah. how you launch a church, baby. That's cool. I dig it. Because when you send out a mailer, you're going to hit people for sure. But most of the people respond to mailers are Christians. It's it's face-to-face contact. And we've talked about that before. That de- by the way, that depends on how you write the mailer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Most yeah, no, Christians sure. write their own mailers. And so they write it to other Christians. If you Absolutely. want a mailer that's going to reach the lost, you have to write it to the lost. And absolutely most don't know how and to do that. We'll talk, talk before we get off, talk about that real quick because 
one of the things that uh, I remember when I wrote mine, you're like, dude, this sucks. <laughs> well, I'm, we don't really have time to get into it, but the point of it is that people are writing what they see other people do. So you're looking yeah. at another postcard that a church has sent out, or, you know, there's plenty of services that cater to this to church plants. Hey, you know, we've got this magic mailer system. Come do this. Well, you know, I'm sorry, but they don't know the first thing about marketing. And all they're doing is they're taking the same stuff that everyone else is doing. We refer to that, those of us that that do what's called direct response marketing, we refer to that as incest marketing. Yeah. You look at what someone else in your industry is doing and you go, well, they must be smarter than me, so it must work. I'm going to go ahead and take that and do it myself. The problem is you're taking a postcard that another church wrote, which, by the way, is probably a horrible postcard, but it looks pretty. And you're mistaking looking pretty for being effective. And you're also reading it as a Christian. You're reading it as a Christian. So you're writing it as a Christian. Yeah. And that's, I mean, we talked about this in maybe the second or third issue of the magazine, uh, how I would write a postcard. And the way that I would write a postcard to the community is I would hit on what does, like, we, we make the comment, you have to enter the conversation that's already going on in someone's mind. So the conversation that's already going on in the mind of a Christian is, you know, maybe I'm looking for a better church. Maybe I'm looking for a better kids program. That's not the conversation that's going on in the mind of the lost. They're like, I lost my job. I'm going to lose my home. Yeah. What am I going to do? My marriage is falling apart. That's the conversation you want to enter. So, if that's the conversation you want to enter, then you have to write it to that person. Number one, that means you do not put, you know, Refuge Long Beach at the top of your postcard. Like someone's going to go, oh, oh, this is Refuge Long Beach postcard. I've got to read this. No one gives a crap about that. What you want to put on the top is we would call it a headline that is going to grab their attention and get them to read the next line. Um, you know, and so I talked yeah. about in, in one of the issues, I think it was second or third, you know, I talked about if you wanted to reach um, people going through a divorce and maybe you're planning on doing a, you know, a, a three part series on on this. First of all, I wouldn't necessarily call it, you know, what does the Bible say about divorce? Because that's going to turn off the non-Christian. Right. Yeah. So I would be like, you know, I, I would hit on all the things that they're looking for. You know, they're looking for. uh how do I save my marriage even when they've told me it's over? You know, and I would yeah. I would hit on these things. And then when they come in, that's when you bring up the gospel. Yeah. And that's because I mean, that's what's really going to make a difference to people, right? In the yeah. long run, it's going to be the gospel. But yeah, and that would be like strategic series, you know, you, yeah. and, and and that's something you can do, not just at your launch, but you know, you could do it for your launch. You could you could announce on your postcard, a strategic series that is, like you said, it's the conversation people are having in their head and you will attract people that maybe they're divorced, you know, they're getting divorced or they're, they're, they're arguing with their spouse and divorce keeps coming up and they're scared. Um, and you're not baiting and switching. You're letting them know you're a church. They're going to expect you to talk about God there. Um, but yeah, you don't want to cram the gospel into your postcard. Because um, it, that's not the conversation up. that's going on in their head, and they're exactly. not going to respond. 
So you can say, you know, this is being put on, uh, like one of the ways that I would do it is I would say it's an educational service being put on by Impact Whittier Church or educational service being presented by Refuge Long Beach Church. And what that does is that goes, okay, well, first of all, it's an educational series. Educational means to me there's no selling, there's no give me your money, there's no offering, there's no – and as a non-Christian, that's much more appealing to me than you're trying to wrangle me into your church so you can get my money. And, Absolutely. And then you're letting them know it's being put on by a church, but it's an educational thing. Okay, well, all right, so there's going to be God talk, but hey, you know, they've got these other bullet points here, and that's really what I want, so let me go see what they have to say. Absolutely. And, you know, the the launch, I mean, we talked about, we covered a lot of stuff today, but there's a few nuts and bolts principles uh, that you need to know. Number one, the time of the year is important. I know that sounds weird, but look, we're looking at September is a great time. People have just had holidays, vacation, they're gearing up to start up school. And as much as people are like, oh, school's starting up, strangely, it's a time of new beginnings. People see a cycle starting. And for some reason, those cycles mean something. Now, I, I, I know some of you be like, oh, dude, you're making, you know, like, show me that in the Bible. Pentecost, okay? Pentecost was uh, a, a, a sign of new beginnings. It was a sign of the, the new harvest. And uh, the f- Feast of First Fruits. So it was a cycle starting for them. And just like we in, in September, I'm not s- saying, oh, because Pentecost started in, uh, you know, the time of New Harvest or for you got to pick up. I'm just saying be aware of the rhythms of the culture that you're in. Um, January, people come into – it's a time of new beginnings again. So think about it. If people are going to start going to church, they are going to probably go to church at a time where, you know, maybe it starts a new cycle. Oh, you know, in the new year, I, I made a New Year's commitment. I'm going to I'm gonna be more spiritual. And so you might, they may not know what they mean by that, but they, they see your card or, you know, you, you do something in the community and they're like, that's where I'm going to go. So be aware of that. Um, and, and what's great about a launch is you can announce it as a new thing and people like the fact that they won't be the only outsider. Never ever underestimate the fact that when people come on your launch, you, you just, I always emphasize we're a young church. We're still getting to know each other. You've come at the perfect time. Um, this is great. A lot of us didn't know each other too well. We're just getting to know each other. They're going to love getting to know you, that kind of thing. And so people like that, that I'm not the only, I'm not the outsider coming in. Right. Um, it's very scary for people to come to church. Number two, uh, Christmas and Easter. Don't forget that those are the two times. Summer is usually a bad time to launch a church, but you can maximize on those four things, those four times, okay? I'm, I'm not saying you can't launch a church outside. I'm just saying it's probably not the best time. Well, and I would also say, too, that, again, you have to look at the community you're trying to reach. Yeah. So um, if your community is more – like, let, let's say you're, it's a community where everyone goes to a year-round school. Well, then you would look at, okay, what's the school schedule? When do, because it's really weird. They get yeah. like three and four weeks off, like at weird yeah. times. It does Those matter. would not be the times that you would want to launch. And no. when do they consider going into the next grade? I don't know if that's September. I've never gone to a year-round school. <laughs> Actually, I think that's the worst idea ever. I loved summer as a kid. But my point is, you got to look at the community. So let's say you're in a steel, a steel mill town, right? Some small little community. Again, look at the community and look at it with the eyes of what what's the conversation that's going on in their head. When do they see this is, you know, 
Like, when is their summer? I mean, it, absolutely. It, it may not be the actual three months that it is for us, right? It, it could be, yeah. you know, a, another time of the year. So you, that's what I'm saying. You, you got to look at it from the perspective of who am I trying to reach? Yeah. And, and also you need a way to um, connect with people, whether you have a welcome pack. Um, it's more important that you're gathering their information. So like our Christmas outreach recently, I didn't head it, right? Um, and, and I kind of, the team led it. The, the, one of the things that they didn't do was as people were taking pictures of Santa and all that kind of stuff, they didn't take their email and contact details for how to get a hold of them uh, in case they couldn't make it the next Sunday to pick up their pictures because we had them printed out and had them available on Sunday. That was a little bit of our hook. But, uh, you know, they didn't have um, the email. But you know, what, here, here's the funny thing, Peyton. In that community, email is not going to be as important as having cell their – Wait for Absolutely. it? Cell phone. Absolutely. And, and, and I almost said that for that same reason. But, you know, I realize a lot of you people out there, you know, you, you're going to be in areas where email or what have you, you know, people are used to putting their email and stuff. But it is true. And, and that community is definitely a cell phone. Um, and, and so, you know, you have to have a way to connect and follow up with them because they may have come the first time and then life just happens to them. You yeah. want to be able to attract, if they came once, chances are, unless you did something really stupid or you were boring, and that is the unforgivable sin for a non-believer. You come in and you're boring, you will never see them again. Be aware of that. Um, and number, number three, uh, the chairs. You need to have less chairs out. Don't put 50 chairs out if 20 people are going to come. Um, if your core team's 20, um, put 30 chairs out and then leave room. Have your chairs handy, stacked off to a side, and appoint people. Have people that, you know, welcome and greet, and then have someone who's ready to put chairs out. Be putting chairs out nonstop. And then the last advice for your launch, because we're not going to tell you what your launch looks like, the last piece of advice is um, have a practice night. Don't, you know, have a practice run. In the one or two weeks before, get everything right. When we launch uh, any church, because of what we do with like discussion groups and what have you, um, we have to practice. We can't just uh, run everything like, you know, we would never do. It'd be absolute suicide to try to get the choreography of what we do. And I know people don't like that word, but, you know, we serve coffee and cakes and people have discussion groups or we serve breakfast, um, depending on the church. And so people can interact. You have to have people in place to make that happen and you have to practice it. So anyways, those are my nuts and bolts. We're not going to tell you what your launch individually ought to look like, but those principles will get you well on the way to having a launch that's not lame. But as far as successful, like I said, if you get one lost person in, one lost family in, and that keeps multiplying and people get saved, that's the key. The one thing you cannot do is get people saved, but you can preach, you can water, you can sow, you can reap, but God has to give the increase. And that's where prayer comes in. Go back to Acts, study, pray, read, be scared out of your head, but don't be a wimp. Keep that date on the calendar. Don't move it. Get on your face before God and Ask the Holy Spirit to turn up. That's all I got to say about that. Cool. Well, just uh, one final thought. If you've got a, a question that you'd like us to address on the Church Planner Podcast about your church planning efforts or a question that you've got about it, give us a ring to our voicemail line. It's 
553-0004 and leave us a message. This has been Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell on the Church Planner Podcast. Thanks for joining us, reminding you that if you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. dot